Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Revelation chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, we read, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a, a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Father, we come before you now, Lord. We ask you to speak to us through your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and minister, Lord, and give us understanding. Lord, every jot and tittle in your word has significance to us. And regardless of our position on the rapture or anything else, Lord, Revelation 18, you have something to say to us today. And so help us, Lord, to glean your truths from this word and help us to have hearts that are ready to receive it. We ask you, Lord, to just... Bless our time now in your word. Come and teach us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So let me ask you a question. What, how would you respond to, you know, some tragic event, some, some cataclysmic event that happens in our world and you become destitute overnight? Like literally you're bankrupt. You wake up. Go to bed tonight, you wake up tomorrow and your home is foreclosed on, your bank accounts are drained, your utilities are shut off, uh, you know, your worst nightmare happens. How would you respond to that? It's worth considering because what it does is helps us to understand really uh, what we're holding on to, what, what is the center of our life, the things that we are trusting in. You know, the answer for the believer should be nothing would change. I do the exact same thing that I'm doing. I would do my best with everything that the Lord gives me. I wouldn't worry. I would just keep pressing on towards the prize, and I would do my best to share Christ and, and those kinds of things. That's the biblical answer. The question is, is what would you do? How would you answer that question? Um, and, and, and like I said, you know, many of us, it might, it might rock us, and maybe it's happened to you. Maybe you've experienced that before and you're like, yeah, it did rock me. And maybe you've learned to keep a really loose grip on things in this world because God doesn't guarantee us those things. He guarantees us what we need, but what we need is often not what we want. What we need, the Lord provides. He'll give us what we need. And, uh, you know, th this is something that whether you're a believer or unbeliever in our culture today, it's a, it's a serious issue. You know, the idea of materialism and, and what are we living for and, you know, what, is, what, what amounts to a successful life? Uh, you know, if I'm not, you know, I don't have this many zeros in my bank account or my 401k or I don't have this or that or whatever, um, you know, does that mean I'm not being successful? I would ask you this question. What does your bank account in heaven look like? You know, that, that's the greater question. It's not so much about what we have here, but it's what we're doing with what we have here and what that means for all of eternity. The believer should be able to not just survive an economic or commercial collapse, but thrive through it. We shouldn't just be able to survive it, but we should thrive through it because our trust is not in the things of this world. We're not living for these things. And so these things, we should sort of be indifferent about it, if that makes sense, and not hold on to those things so tightly. Um, I grew up in a way that, you know, I had things come and go in my life rapidly with no warning. So for me, materialistic things, I, I have no attachment at all to anything I have. My wife, on the other hand, it's a different for her. And so she has a different kind of a view of things. You know, oh, look at this is what our kids did. I'm like, so what? Who cares? Our kids grew up in this house. I'm like, so what? It's a house, man. We take the memories with us, not the place. Anyway, 
that's just me. That, I, it's easy for me to do that, but that's not everybody. Um, but here's the reality is we all have the same call, though, and that is to not hold on to our possessions too tightly, not to let our possessions possess us, right? But that we use our possessions to serve the Lord and to do the very best, to be a, a vessel for the Lord, to, you know, use all of those things. You know, one day when you stand before the Lord, what are you, are you going to hear? Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant? You know, that, that all comes from what you've done with the things that he's given you on earth. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's where that comes from. We live for the Lord. And um, I don't know if you're watching uh, the, the things going on in our world today. I assume you are. But, you know, hey, we're in economic trouble as a country and I say that as a warning to you, actually. We, we, are, we, don't, we are feeling it a little bit in the gas prices and such, but listen, it's so much bigger than what's being, it's being shielded, you know, and, and who knows? We, we don't know tomorrow. We don't know what the Lord's going to do. What I would suggest is do not be over leveraged. Do not get yourself in, don't make bad financial decisions right now. Uh, it's, it's, you know, be, be concerned don't, don't let those things become a worry for you because that's exactly what will happen. We trust the Lord. You know, he'll get us through whatever comes. But, um, you know, be careful. Be a good steward of what the Lord's given you. Um, one day, everything on this earth that has value will be devalued to zero. One of these days, and it's in our text this morning, one of these days, the entirety of the world's possessions will go to zero. Nothing will have value. And it's, it's really when we find the bankruptcy of Babylon. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. When Babylon becomes bankrupt, the entirety of the world's possessions are meaningless at that point. Everything that these people have been living for, it, it, it becomes really ir irrelevant to the world. That doesn't matter what kind of car you have or what kind of house you have or, you know, how much gold you stack or whatever. It all is going to be completely devalued. And so it's in the Bible for us to understand how to manage these things, to not allow them to overcome us. Um, I'm, we're going to look at uh, really the fall of Babylon economically today. And um, even though Babylon, the city itself, does not exist currently, hey, spiritual Babylon is alive and well. It's, um, you know, there, if you can't see spiritual Babylon in America, you're not looking. Because uh, it's, it's here. The, the, the spirit of Babylon is in America. That's one of our issues. Is we love the God of money. We serve mammon rather than the one and true living God. A lot of people do. And, uh, you know, even in the church. Listen, uh, Christians in, in the church are like the U.S. dollar. They say in God we trust. But that's not really the story. And you know that when things are totally stripped away from you. That's going to happen. And I don't think we'll be here, but, you know, but don't think that we won't experience some of that economic collapse before, you know, we move. So uh, are you guys scared now? I'm, I'm not trying to scare you. I, I'm not. I swear. I just want to put things in perspective because, um, you know, what we're going to be looking at, the bankruptcy of Babylon, applies to us today. Everything that we're going to talk about Literally, you should be examining your heart and saying, how do I reflect relating to these things? How will I respond to what I see? That's what we see in our text. It's really a response to the, to the bankruptcy of Babylon. There's six different things we're going to consider in our text this morning uh, relating to the bankruptcy of Babylon. First, we're going to consider her destruction proclaimed. Look at verse 1 again with me. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her, her luxurious living. So it starts out saying after this, after what? After what we just saw in chapter 17, what, what did we just see in chapter 17? We saw the collapse of the prostitute of Babylon, which was the false religious system of the day. And remember, at the end of the chapter, it says, I believe this is three and a half years into the tribulation period, that the ten kings 
and the Antichrist, the beast, turn against the prostitute. You know, this is the progressive religious system that exists, you know, that, that comes up from, from, you know, the rapture of the church, then the tribulation period starts. There's some kind of a progressive one world religion that is existing in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. But three and a half years in, the Antichrist says, no, I'm God. I'm the only one to be worshipped. This is the institution of the mark of the beast and all of that system. So chapter 17 is really the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. This, this religious system that we talked about last week being, um, you know, th that is being formed right now. In Abu Dhabi, there's, there's this religious, you know, it, I'm not saying that's where it is. I'm just saying that that's the start of it. Where you have a, a Muslim mosque, you have a, a you know, a, whatever, a Catholic or a Christian representation of a structure being built and also a synagogue and that maybe is kind of the what, what the one world religion will be like like a unified uh, a unitarian kind of we worship all the same god kind of idea and if you speak anything other than that then maybe you know you're persecuted who knows but but something like that what we know is three and a half years in the beast and the kings turn against it so it's temporary it's just a setup for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. After this, then John, John says, I saw another vision. That's what he's saying. Another angel, one of the same kind. This is not Jesus, even though you look at the, um, uh, you know, the, the things it's talking about coming with great authority and bright with glory and such. Listen, angels come with great authority and they are bright in glory. We see the, the response of people when they're face to face with angels at times and they literally fall on their face before the Lord are before these angels, and they, he's, they're like, hey, hey, don't worship me. Even John has that, that experience with, with Angelicos. They are glorious, and they, are, they come with authority. This is another of the same kind of angel that we saw in chapter 17, which was one of the seven angels that poured out the seven bull judgments on the earth. So this angel comes down, and uh, you know, he, he's coming from God. That's why he has authority, and that's why he has glory. He's coming from the presence of the Father, and he's coming to proclaim something on this earth. He called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The pronouncement here is future. This is something that is going to happen. But it's so interesting, the repetitive word, fallen, fallen, the idea is that this event is already complete. It's already a done deal. In other words, Babylon is going gonna, gonna to fall as quickly as it rises. It will be... Here, here today, gone tomorrow kind of a thing. God has already determined that Babylon will fall. And guess what? Babylon will fall. That's exactly what's going to happen. This is the pronouncement of judgment upon the economic, commercial Babylon that will exist during the uh, seven-year tribulation period. Many believe the judgment occurs during the seventh bowl judgment, which is the last judgment before Jesus comes back. You can read in uh, Revelation chapter 16, the very last bold judgment there, probably where this fits in, um, where he's talking about fallen, fallen Babylon the great, you know, where, where they all assemble at the, the valley of Armageddon the, and uh, the Jezreel Valley there, uh, all the nations assemble there to fight, you know, and they end up getting slaughtered from the, the valley of Jehoshaphat up in Jerusalem area all the way down to the south of the Dead Sea in Basra, which is also known as Petra. And the blood of blood, Jesus Christ will, will, the blood will flow all the way from, from Jerusalem, from the Temple Mount in between the Temple and the Mount of Olives, that valley, Valley of Jehoshaphat, all the way down to the Dead Sea. And Jesus will return to Jerusalem from Petra with blood splattered all over his clothes. It will be a slaughter. So um, th that's going to happen. Now, uh, the Lord is saying that he is going to strip this world of every security and every comfort that it has. In these last moments, this is God's, listen, this is God's last ditch effort to reach people. A lot of people don't believe, you know, the last part of the tribulation people will get saved. A lot of people don't believe when the tribulation starts, period, that people don't get saved. That salvation is offered only to those um, up until that point, the age of grace is closed and then God doesn't offer salvation. I don't think so. I think God always offers salvation. You know, judgment's coming, but I think that this is God's, God's turning. And of course, we see people get saved in the tribulation. I don't, know how, I don't see how people get that, but um, the, 
you know, the Lord is last dish effort to really reach people in this time. And so what he does is he strips them of everything they're holding on to. And God is faithful to do that in your life because he loves you. He doesn't want you holding on to something that, that offers you false security. And so, you know, he's patient, but he does strip us of those things. Notice here that Babylon will, will also become a ghost town, literally. It says that, that it will be a dwelling place for demons, a haunt, or that's, you could say, a lair for every unclean spirit. There's going to be demonic presence in that place like no other. You think uh, New Orleans has demonic presence. You think, you know, the city of Las Vegas has demonic presence. Wait till you see Babylon. You know, it's going to be, be crazy. Not only that, but every, it'll be the haunt for every unclean bird and every unclean and detestable thing. That means, told, that the idea here is that all of the vultures and all of these things are making Babylon their home because it's totally desolate. There's nothing left of it. That's the idea. This actually occurred. You can go back, I don't have time to give you the references, but look in the book of Isaiah, look in the book of Jeremiah. There are multiple times where it speaks about the wild beasts living in Babylon, about the birds of the air, you know, living in, in Babylon and such. Um, it's going to be totally desolate, just non-existent at some point. The Antichrist is going to use Babylon to influence the entirety of the world. That's what it means when it talks about all the nations drunk of the wine of her passions of sexual immorality. And all the kings of the earth will commit sexual immorality with her. Not only that, but also all the merchants of... Listen, if you're a merchant during this time, dude, you're on a gravy train, literally. It's like, you know, you're printing cash. I mean, you're, you're living off the luxury and the wealth of this economic system. And it's going to be incredible. Um, you know, but... And people are going to fall headlong into this stupor of materialism in these times. And it, it's going to be insane. But, but I remind you of these words, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It will fall. Her destruction has been proclaimed. Now let's consider her iniquities remembered. Look at verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. John hears another voice from heaven here now. And again, this is a, another of the same kind of voice, a mighty angelic voice speaking, calling out for God's people to come out of her, come out of Babylon, come out of the economic and commercial Babylon. Who are these people? This is a strange invitation uh, for God's people to be called out of a system they're not supposed to be in. It's very strange here. The Lord sending this voice down from heaven is, a, is making a plea to his people. Who are his people? Some people believe that it's the Jews. It could be the, the nation of Israel being called out of, you know, out of uh, Babylon. You know, some people believe that it's the end time saints that got saved after the rapture of the church, and who have been lured into the trap of commercial Babylon. Can you not see how that could happen? How easy it can be to get sucked into commercialism in the world? Uh, we know how that is, don't we? I mean, it's, it's a temptation for every one of us in this room. Every day. You turn on the TV and all you see advertises, man, if you just have this, you'll be better. If you just, you could just get this thing, it'll complete your life, you know. All this advertising, you can't drive anywhere, you can't go anywhere without having, being bombarded by saying, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. It's feeding uh, uh, the flesh, literally. And, um, you know, what ends up happening is those who succumb to that find out that it cannot satisfy, you know, giving yourself over to materialism. I, I, I remember uh, I had a friend that did um, call center work for um, one of the, um, you know, home shopping work network kind of things, you know. And um, just people in the middle of the night just trying to fulfill that void and buying all kinds of things. And then, you know, just financial destitution, many of these people, calling up later and, and, and talking to my friend about how, man, I, I can't stop doing this. You know, literally, it, it can become that. Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy thing, uh, materialism. Listen, there will be a time during the tribulation period where 
these people, God's people, whoever they are, are being lured in and tempted to trade the one and true living God for the God of mammon. So it'll be the God of, uh, of money. And uh, th- again, that's, that's, a, that's what's something that here in our country we struggle with is we say in God we trust. And of course, people are trying to take all of God out of everything. Some are. But, you know, even, even those who do stand for the Lord, you know, is he really the Lord? Is he really the Lord of your life? Is he really the one you're trusting in? Um, because we know that the temptation of how the money makes the world go around and how, how important it is. And understand this. It's not wealth that makes somebody, uh, you know, positionally makes somebody wrong with the Lord or, or makes that a God in their life. It's, it's the love of money. It's not the amount of money. It's the love of money. You can have no money and love money and it could be your God. You can have tons of money and it not be your God and serve the one true living God. It's a heart issue. And so it's something that we need to be aware of. It's something that will tempt those who are God's people in that time frame to be drawn into. Listen to what the Lord says. They will, not they might, they will take part in her sins. Why is God calling her out of this this economic system? Because what happens is wealth, it's so easy for wealth to produce sin. Wealth to produce sin. You know, when you have lots of money, you have access to lots of things that are not of the Lord. You know, you see what happens to somebody who wins the lottery? You ever read those stories? About these people who have been successful overnight, they get millions of dollars, and the next thing, you know, in seven years or five years or two years, their life is destroyed. Why? Because wealth has that, there is that temptation with wealth to totally destroy you. Be careful what you wish for. I remember when I first started my business, I told the Lord, Lord, don't give me too much. There's a proverb, and it says, Lord, don't give me, um, don't give me too much that I might forget who you are, and don't give me um, too little that I might steal and defame your name. Just give me my daily portion. And that's always been my prayer. I don't want too much. I don't want, Lord, I just want what you want me to have. And I want to be a good steward of what, you, what, what you've given me. Those who get sucked into Babylon economically here will be, get sucked into the sin of Babylon. And uh, they, will, they, will, they will experience... Uh, some judgment, some form of, it's not really judgment for a believer. For a believer, it's chastisement. It's the Lord chastising his sons and daughters because it's the God disciplining his children. You know, for the unbeliever, it's judgment. God trying to draw people to himself. For the believer, it's, it's a spiritual spanking. God trying to teach his children not to do the wrong things. And uh, maybe you're here this morning and if you've, you've experienced you know, some sort of a spiritual spanking from the Lord. And he said, you know, hey, I, I've been telling you, if you get sucked into the world, you're going to commit the sins of the world. And as your father, I'm not going to let that roll. I'm going to deal, deal with that. I love you too much to let you not just keep going in that. You know, and so he will deal with it. It says, um, the angelic host goes on to say, lest you share inner plagues. What plagues? The plagues that are being poured out on Babylon itself. Those who are God's people in this time, if they don't come out of her, they're going to share in her sins, and then they're going to share in her suffering. The Lord's saying, these will be poured out on you. The idea here, to be honest, is that the Lord is shielding his people from certain things during this time, but those who are sucked into the system will experience the same things, for the Lord is drawing them out, calling them out, telling them to be removed. The Lord goes on, and this angel goes on to say, for God has remembered her iniquities. It says that the, the iniquities of Babylon are being piled upon. They're being heaped high. The idea is that they're being glued together. It's almost like the Lord is, is giving a symbolic, um, a symbolic picture of the Tower of Babylon as he stacks their sins over and over and over again. Remember Tower of Babylon, Tower of Babel, where they built that structure to worship the creation rather than the creator. And the Lord says, hey, you're, you're not the only one that knows how to stack. I'm stacking your sins up. And one day, you're going to give an account for all of those sins. God is keeping track of every sin that all unbelievers are uh, partaking in. And that's when it talks about the debt that you could never pay. We all have a debt. We all have stacks. 
You know, but some of us, the, that stack has been removed because Jesus Christ paid the price. On the cross, his blood wiped that stack away. The, the Lord remembers your sins no more. But for the unbeliever, they're accountable for all of their sins. They're stacking up. The Lord will one day, uh, they will give an account for every single action they've ever done. Every single action they've ever done. For the believer, the accountability that we have before the Lord is what we do with Jesus uh, from the time we're saved on. Remember, our sins are wiped away. Some of, some, some of you may be holding on to sins that are the guilt and the shame or whatever, the weight of those things is holding you down. And the Lord's saying, what are you talking about? You know, you repented of those things and you've turned away and, and yet, you know, you still feel the shame and the guilt, the conviction. And the Lord's like going, well, wh why do you keep talking about this? I don't know what you're talking about because the blood of Christ wipes your sins away. He remembers them no more. Isaiah chapter, or Isaiah chapter 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transactions for my own sake. The Lord remembers your sins no more for his own sake. Notice, and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Listen, if you're in Christ this morning, the Lord remembers your sins no more. You will give an account to the Lord for what you've done with your life as a redeemed person. But you're not going to give an account for every sin that you committed because God's gonna, God's sin, your sins have been wiped away. They've been completely and totally gone. It, it God cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Think about that. It's endless. He remembers your sins no more. But for these people, he will not forget one of their sins. He remember every single one of them, and they will give an account for every single one of their sins. Not only will God remember Babylon's iniquities, but he will also return payment to her. Look at verse 6. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup, of her, uh, in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So, interesting enough, in verse 6, the dialogue changes. So no longer is this angelic host talking to John, now the angelic host is talking to God. And the angelic host is telling God, vengeance, Lord. Pay them back, Lord. Double, Lord. The idea of double for her deeds, double a portion for her, it literally means in the full measure. Lord, give them all of it, Lord. Don't hold anything back. Total and complete judgment. Why? Because she has mixed a cup for others to drink, thus causing them to stumble. You know how the Lord feels about causing someone to stumble? Jesus said it like this in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. He said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believed in me to sin, it would be better for him, to, to, better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and we were thrown into the sea just to be sunk into the abyss and drown. Be better for you not to be born, is what he says. He cares about not only your life and the way that you live your life, but also how your life affects other people. That's a serious thing, folks. Like when you think about God cares about not only how I live my life, but then to the extent that my life affects other people and the example that I set and these kinds of things. That's why, that's why Paul says in Ephesians, I think it's in chapter 5, he says, walk circumspectly. Be careful with your walk. You don't want to lead anybody astray. The Lord is, uh, the, this angel is calling for a double portion of judgment to be come down upon those in Babylon who have caused the world to stumble, to drink of the mix that she has made. Um, here we find that there are three specific sins that this angelic host points out here. Um, first, that uh, Babylon uh, deserves payback because she glorified herself. That's number one. She was self-exalting, making herself the object of worship rather than God. She said, 
you know, the, the, the system of Babylon, the economic system is promising things it can't keep. Here, just trust in me. Put all your effort in me and I'll, and I'll bless you. <laughs> Immaterial objects can't do that, by the way. Only God can do that. Uh, that's not possible. But the promise is, worship me and you'll be, you'll be blessed. It's an empty promise. The system is self-exalting. Not only that, but it goes on here. Secondly, that she lived in luxury. This literally, it's not luxury like, you know, penthouse suite with the bends and all that kind of stuff. No, it's, it's talking about living licentiously, living uh, immorally, lustfully, sensually, intemperate. That's the idea of living in luxury. Self-gratification is the idea. That's what it's speaking about. And finally, she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. This is self-reliance. This is presumption. This is the same heart ancient Babylon had before the fall to the Medo-Persians. You might recall the story where Belshazzar was in power, and remember the, the, the writing came on the wall with the hand? Mini, mini, tezeki, whatever it was. Um, you know, <laughs> your pastor really knows his Bible. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, he, you know, the idea is that Belshazzar and the people of Babylon during that time, they literally were saying in their hearts, even though the Medo-Persians were parked right outside the gates of the city, they were saying, they'll never get in here. They'll never get in here. There's no way for them to ever get in here. We are, no one can crash this place. No one, we're impenetrable. Nobody can get into this fortress. Boy, were they wrong. That night, they were toppled. That night, the pride came, the fall because of the pride. You know, Belshazzar, oh, nobody can do that. And that very night, they were overtaken. This is the same idea. Future Babylon will have this idea of being so self-reliant, so presumptuous that, oh, no one can topple us. Our, our city is so great that no one will be able to topple that. And, and it says, the plagues that come down upon her in a single day will produce death and mourning and famine. In a single day. It'll be toppled in a single day. And, and actually, as we go on, I want you to keep the, uh, the word single in your mind because it's, it's the emphasis of this chapter. It's so rapid and so fast that people don't see this coming, even though they see it coming. You know what I mean? You see it coming, but you're like, there's no way this is going to happen. They don't see it coming. And then it's boom. It's right on the doorstep. It, it reminds me of different ways the Lord speaks to me in my life where I'm, you know, I, I'm like, he's, he's saying things to me, Tim, what are you doing here? This, whatever. And, and, you know, and, and, and he keeps, he keeps nodding me and nodding me and nodding me. And then eventually what he says happens, doesn't it? Exactly what he says happens will happen, you know, but he's faithful to warn us because he loves us. And, you know, he's a good dad and he's trying to keep you out of trouble. Listen to him. Listen to him. There, there are so many lessons you do not have to learn. There are so many, less, so, many, so many situations you don't have to go to if you just will be obedient to the Lord. But man, it's our hard-heartedness. It's our, I know better than you, Lord. And man, does it get us in trouble. These people will be so self-reliant in this moment. They won't see this coming and then it'll just come as a disaster overnight so quickly. No time to prepare. The Lord God will judge her mightily and will burn her up with, with the fire of his indignation. Because of their blatant disregard for him. Because of their blatant disregard for him. Nothing's going to thwart his plan. He's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. People could turn now if they wanted to. This is a warning. God put it in writing. Because he wants people to know it's the revelation. The revealing of what's going to happen. And so many people will say, oh yeah, we, well, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It will happen. He does what he says. Now, now we look at the response of her citizens. They lament over the destruction. Look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the snake of, uh, smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, 
You great city, you mighty city Babylon, for a single hour your judgment has come. Um, here we find, beginning in verse 9 all the way through um, verse 19, we find, actually verse 17, we find three different people groups and their response to the destruction of Babylon. So Babylon has fallen. It's fallen. Now, now we see the response of the people, um, three different people groups relating to that first we see the response of the kings of the earth. They're wailing, weeping over, they're mourning over uh, Babylon, uh, over the economic collapse of Babylon when they see her go up in smoke. Listen, you know you love your sin when your sin, when you mourn over your sin. You know you love your sin when you mourn over your sin. And I don't know if you guys have, have been watching as of yesterday, the Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, overturned. Uh, praise the Lord for that. But I don't know if you've been watching the response. You know you love your sin when you mourn over your sin. When you mourn over your sin. The, the, and what we as the church need to understand relating to that is um, those who are in that response, they're deceived. Right? They're not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The, the people, flesh and blood like you and I, those who are caught up and don't, don't see this um, correctly, the, the problem is that they're deceived. The deception is this. You've taken away a right from me, but what they don't understand is, no, they've given a right back to the right person, the baby. Uh, you know, and, and, and talking about the Constitution, all this kind of stuff, Constitution protects life. It protects life. And what's happened is that life has been now protected, but people see it differently because they're deceived. And for me as a believer, that, that hurts my heart to watch because I know what it's like to be deceived. And I know what it's like to, to know, to think I know something, to think, dude, when I was an unbeliever, Every Christian that shared the gospel with me said, well, how are you going to get to heaven? And I said, I, th I think I'm a good person. I don't care what you said. I did not listen to what you said. I was deceived. The Lord broke through in his way to me and got to me and changed my life. Here's the thing, is that we stand for life and we rejoice in that God is being exalted in this situation, that he's preserving life, Right? But we should also at the same time be broken for those who don't see it that way. And we should be praying fervently for them. That their hearts would come to that place of understanding. These are people who are deceived. Now, I'm not taking away their, their free will. They, they're choosing to walk in certain ways just like you and I were at one point. But man, God is so gracious. He's so good. So if you get an opportunity to represent the Lord to somebody who's in that spot, do it well. Do it well. Be careful about how you say things. I'm not saying don't be, oh, be bold and all this kind of stuff. Do that. But remember in love. Remember in love. Christ said, you know, Paul said, I'd rather you, you, you not speak because if you speak, don't speak in love, you're like a clanging symbol. And so, so oftentimes when we speak about these issues, it's not with the right heart. And if you're honest with yourself, you can say that. It's, I'll, I'll give you the litmus test for me. Typically, if I don't want to do it, it's the Lord. If I really want to do it, it's not the Lord. Typically, I'm just saying, be careful. I'm pumped that that's happening. Abortion's not going to stop. You know, the states will make those decisions. And now you're seeing uh, corporations paying. They're going to pay for their employees to go out of states to, to have abortions. So the victory is there for sure. God is speaking. God is saying, hey, life matters and that is a life and I care about it and all those sorts of things. We just need to continue. We need to be his voice. We need to be his people in these moments, man, and stand firm, but be loving in, in what we do. People will mourn over their sin. And that's what we're seeing, folks. But it's a matter of deception, just like they will be mourning over the destruction of Babylon in this moment. These, uh, these citizens, these kings of the earth, they're mourning because everything they sank their life into is now gone. All of their, all of their hopes and dreams have been burned up in the city of 
Babylon. Notice, in a single hour, in a single hour, such devastation will occur that these rulers of the world will, be, will just be totally desolate. They'll be totally um, sorrowful over what they've lost. It says that they will stand afar off in fear of her torment. They will cry out in a state of great intense distress. Alas, alas. That's what it means. It's like a great uh, state of great intense uh, distress. I mean, alas, alas, your great city, your mighty city Babylon, you, you've fallen. Not only will they respond like that, but look at verse 11. Look at the merchants now. And the merchants of the earth wept and mourned for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, pearl, uh, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and uh, sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves. That is, uh, and slaves, that is human souls. You know, the idea of human souls there is literally trafficking people. That's the idea, selling people. It's, it's probably referring to human trafficking there. The merchants of the earth are those who are the sellers. They're the, the ones that are, are benefiting from the, this economic system. And now they find themselves in a situation when the collapse of Babylon happens, they're lamenting because their gravy train is over. Babylon is bankrupt and so are they. And no one wants their goods anymore. Even the things that we would find valuable today, gold and silver and all of these kinds of things, everything goes to zero here. Nothing is valuable. Why? Because the world's in disarray at this point. You know, th this is talking about the economic system collapsing, but you have to understand the impact of what that would look like in the whole world. Not only the economic impact, but also think about the judgments that God is raining down during this time too. Like the world is a wreck at this point, nobody's thinking like, man, I wish I could get that condo on the beach this week, you know. Now that the prices have come down, I think I might be able to afford it, you know. No one wants your gold. Nobody wants your silver. Nobody wants any of this stuff. And so these merchants now are, are mourning. Listen to the words of verse 14. The fruit of which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you. Never to be found again. These guys, their soul, heart and soul was put into this, been destroyed. The, the idea here is the same heart that uh, Lot's wife had when she left Sodom, you know. Uh, God was judging Sodom and, and um, pulled Lot and his family out of Sodom. And as they're leaving, she turns back and looks longing. With a longing look. The idea is, I wish I was back there. And that's the idea here. These guys, all that they had been longing for, they, 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 they wish that the system could have lasted because they put everything that they had into it. This was their life. This was their God. It's been destroyed. The, the elitists in this moment, the rich of the rich, will experience the same thing that the poorest of poor will experience here. Because nobody wants any, any of these goods. It goes on to say in verse 15, the merchants of the wares who, gain, who gained wealth from her will stand afar off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city is, was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth had been laid uh, to waste. Notice the source of their lament. Why are they lamenting. It's not because of Babylon itself. It's because of what it means for them personally. The focus is on themselves. They could care less about other people. The only person that, that each one of these individuals cares about is themselves and how this, how this uh, experience, what it means for them. And you know, that's how you really know your heart. When you're put in hardships or difficulties or all those kinds of things, that's when your true heart comes out. Do you know that? Everything else is a facade. Look, you can, we can work through different things ourselves and, you know, in conversations with other people. But the truth is, when we're in a hardship, that's really who we are. That is really who we are, man. And, um, 
And that's why the Lord allows hardships in our life. You know, you think about James chapter 1. You know, you, you know consider it pure joy. Well, why? <laughs> why do I want to consider that pure joy? Because God is, God is getting rid of things in you that don't belong in you. It's all that stuff in you that the Lord's trying to purge out of your life. You know, things that you're deceived in that you think are important, really not important, or things that you're holding on to that you didn't realize you were holding on to, so the Lord just shines the light a little bit in there through a hardship, and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, Lord, help me with that. The, that's, the, the idea here is these, man, these merchants, they're gonna, the light will be shined in, and they will be so sad to see their life materialize to nothing. It's so funny when you think about those who care about themselves more than they care about others. You ever watch social experiments on YouTube or anything like that? It's so crazy how when people go up, how people respond to different things. And when people are generally asking for something, you know, I don't know about you, but, but I'm super cautious when somebody comes up and asks me for something, right? I'm thinking like, oh, what does this person want or whatever? It's crazy in these social experiments how you see a person go to somebody who has wealth. You can tell they have wealth and how they will help them at not at all. But then they go to somebody who has nothing, a homeless person or whatever, um, and they ask for just food or something like that. And how almost every time they'll give them everything they got, everything they got. It's, it's so backwards. Those people who have all kinds of things hold on to it so tightly. And those who have nothing, man, who's free? Who's the one who's free? Listen, that's what, that's what it means to be palms up with the Lord with open hands, not holding on to anything. It's not yours. It's his. And, you know, um, those who, it's, it's statistically, if you look at like even offerings in the church, those who have the most, those who make, um, and there's all kinds of different ones, but those who make the most, the, the statistic is that they give the least. But those who make the least, they give the most. And, uh, and, and this is not about... Uh, it's not about that, but it's the heart, right? It's about the heart. It's about the heart of the matter. And all of these guys care about it as, as themselves, and now it shows. They stand afar off, and they are in fear of torment and weeping and mourning. Why? Because they've lost their cash cow. And, and the emphasis is on them. And again, it happens so quickly that nobody was planning for this. Not only will the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth, but also now look at the seafarers and the shipmasters in verse 17b there. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those who trade on, is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What a city was like the great city. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying, aloud, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. So future Babylon will not only be the center of the spiritual, economical, and political uh, world, but it will also be the center of distribution, it seems. seems here that there's some sort of a distribution uh, it's important distribution center and uh, those who are in the transport business now are feeling the effects of everybody else and they have no, they have no goods to transport. Now they're, now they're free. It's the domino effect. It's what happens when you have economic collapse. It's just one industry after another just dominoing and, and being de destroyed. So now it's these guys, the seafarers and the, the um, shipmasters and such, they now are watching the, the city go up in smoke, and um, it says that they threw dust on their heads and weeping and mourning. This, this picture is like the Old Testament mourning, where they would rip their garments and they would throw dust up in the air. It was a picture of mourning and uh, just great grieving there. And again, they're in great distress, saying, Alas, alas, for the great city where all, the sh all that had ships and grew at sea grew rich by her wealth. <coughs> and... Um, it's, it's in a single hour that it happened. Some of us wonder, like, hey, what can happen in an hour? What can happen in a single hour, right? Well, things like Roe v. Wade can be overturned in a single hour. Not only that, but we can see a nation be shut down through mandates in a single hour. 
it's just how fast stuff can happen. Here's the thing. Normally, it's, it's not a surprise, though. There's been signs all the way up to this, right? There's signs going on. There, there's signs in the world that, um, again, we're, we're, all we're looking for is Jesus. We're not trying to be privatized, spiritual privatized, to figure out all of the details of everything going on. Live for the Lord. But it's no surprise. The Lord tells us exactly what's going to happen. And it's happening, and it's surprising people. It's happening. It's going to happen. These guys, again, they're in, in a single hour, they're just devastated. This brings us to verse 20 where we consider now her enemies rejoicing. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Not only does all of heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance, but, but all of heaven will rejoice when Babylon falls. All of heaven will rejoice at that point in time. It says the saints and the apostles and the prophets, along with all those in heaven, will rejoice at the fall of Babylon, for God has judged her. What do you think this means? What does it mean? You know, when you think about the judgment that's coming down, there, there's going to be a lot of people that will die. A lot of unbelievers will die in this situation. There's going to be a lot of devastation, a lot of suffering, a lot of all this kind of stuff. What does it mean that we're rejoicing? What's the object of our rejoicing here? Is the object of our rejoicing that the, the world is being judged? You deserve it. You're finally getting what you deserve. Is that the way we're rejoicing? Or are we rejoicing saying, finally, Lord, you have your rightful place, that you're restoring the world to, a, to, to where it needs to be for your glory and honor, that, that we're rejoicing because it's an exaltation of God? Is that why we rejoice? I think so. I mean, God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked, even though we do. And we do at times, don't we? When we see terrorists assassinated, we find pleasure in the death of the wicked. Or, you know, we see wicked, thing, wicked people being judged rightly, and we say, yeah, right on, we rejoice in that. But we rejoice in the Lord's voice being heard. We, we need to rejoice in the right thing and not the wrong thing. It's, it's uh, so interesting to me how, as I consider that, like what I'm rejoicing, what is heaven rejoicing in in this situation? You know, that, that if we rejoice in the wrong thing, it will produce the wrong heart, which we will represent Christ incorrectly in the world. It matters. When Paul, uh, when the, the psalmist there's a psalm that, are, that I've always held on to um, because it, it speaks about the temptation of, of, of watching the world prosper and seeing, you know, and, and, and kind of wondering, like, Lord, why are you letting this happen? I don't understand. You know, Psalm 73, if you've never read it, it's, it's the psalmist is struggling with this. He's like, you know, I don't understand, Lord, why you're, why you're letting the wicked, wicked prosper. He said in Psalm 73, 2 and 3, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. My steps had nearly slipped. Or my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so short-sighted, the, the psalmist is looking at this, the world and he's saying, man... Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't get it. Right? And he's kind of mad at God, actually. And he's saying, like, what are you doing, Lord? Why don't you stand up for these people or that thing or whatever it is? But check this out. The psalmist, as he's contemplating this, gets to verse 16. And he says this. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to, be, seemed to me a wearisome thing, a task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in a slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and 
and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. And the, the idea here is that he comes to the realization when he comes to the house of the Lord, he gets in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord shows him, like, you don't understand what I'm doing. I am dealing with these things. Here's their end. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the end of that person is what? Eternal damnation. I don't understand what that means totally, what, what utter darkness is, what, what weeping and gnashing of teeth is, but doesn't sound good to me. And it burdens my heart to think about that and to think about all the people in this moment who are being judged. It's their choice. I mean, they're doing it. But there's something in me that can't help but identify with, with the hard-heartedness of something like this. And, and the Lord just tapping on my heart and tapping on my heart and, and not responding. And, and here are these guys. Man, it's just such, a, it's such a, an eye-opener to the reality of the world and to who people are. God will judge the world. And we're not going to rejoice because of that. We're not going to rejoice because finally, you know, people get what they deserve. You and I deserve that too, but Christ took the punishment. Praise God. Right? So we're going to rejoice in the fact that God is restoring this place into, into the place where he wants it to be. But I want you to just think about his heart for people on a daily basis when you face people. You know, and, and be thinking about that um, as this psalmist was here. The wicked will be judged. Christ will rule and reign physically on this earth, and that's what we're going to rejoice over. This brings us to our final point here, verse 21, her, uh, Babylon's influence is removed. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, uh, will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. The sound of a mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth. So life as those in Babylon uh, know it will be totally disrupted. <laughs> I don't know how long this lasts, but literally it's total destitution. There's nothing going on anymore. Life as normal does not exist. It's everything is totally cut off. Babylon is bankrupt and everything within it is bankrupt. No longer will the deceit of Babylon be seen. This is obviously speaking about when Christ comes back because that's when all deception is removed and Jesus takes his rightful place in, uh, on, the, in, in his, on the throne in Jerusalem there. And that day's coming quickly. The question is, are you ready? The question is, are, you know, and, and really, are, what are you trusting in? You know, what, what is the Lord, are you trusting in the things of this world or are you trusting in the Lord? Because everything that you have is going to go to zero one day. Whether you see it or not, doesn't matter. But when you die, nothing goes with you. So it, so it becomes of zero value to you. The only thing that has value to you and I today is the things that we store up in heaven. It's the eternal stuff. It's the conversations with people that we don't have any time to invest in because we got to keep getting the material stuff. Or it's the, you know, it's, it's all of these things in this world that we focus on uh, in an effort to, you know, be productive and do all these kinds of things. But what is true success, Christian? What is true success? True success is what you've passed on for all of eternity. It's what, what your portfolio looks like in heaven, not what your portfolio looks like here. And so I want to encourage you, man, if you haven't been in the game, uh, there's not a lot of time left. Get in the game now. Listen, there's still time for you to, to, to forward some, uh, some investments into heaven. Still time for you to invest in the kingdom of God now, you know. And, you know, it, it's all going to come down to God gives you opportunity after opportunity after, after, after opportunity. You've got to be willing to walk in it. So if you're not engaged today, get engaged. 
Listen, if you're truly, if you really examine your heart and you find yourself that you're holding on to things of this world too tightly, you need to ask the Lord to help you with that because it will hinder what he can do in your life. It will stop you from really being, and here's, here's what I know, is when you keep your hands open and your grip loose, all of a sudden God gives you way more than you could ever even think of. That's what I know. If you keep holding on tight, don't expect much more. So be faithful with what he's given you. Examine your heart. Don't, don't be, respond the way that the people of Babylon responded. This world's gonna, gonna perish one day and everything in it. And, uh, you know, as the good old saying of C.T. Studd says, you know, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. Will you pray with me? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.